In the words of Lewis, growth is a synthesis of change and continuity. You can't have growth without also having continuity. And if we understand this, that the continuity of our ideas across various domains impact who we are and how we operate, we'll better understand how to synthesize information across various domains. What do you learn as you study art about strategy? What does your reading of literature tell you about how wars should progress? What does your study of science tell you about how philosophy should operate? These various domains have to be synthesized. They have to be attached to a centralizing governing framework for able to properly understand them in the context of reality. I want to spend a few minutes with you today talking about how to synthesize your ideas across various domains. If you're a well-read person, you're going to be thinking about art and literature and science and philosophy and history and theology and the various domains of, of learning across all spectrums. You'll be reading new works and old works. You'll be reading the ancients and the Stoics and the great religious writers. You'll be reading all of this and then you have to incorporate them and figure out what does this mean for me and for my reality. So today I'm going to share with you a five-step model to be able to synthesize your ideas across various domains and connect them to a centralizing governing framework. So essentially we're looking for areas of overlap, areas of overlay, and areas of intersection through which various ideas, various concepts can be woven together into a fabric of understanding of the reality that you wish to perceive and the reality that which you believe really exists. Let me give you an example about this. When I read the philosophers, I read people like Heraclitus who says that no man steps into the same stream twice. What does this mean for business, for instance? What is a, a philosopher from 25, 2600 years ago, what does that mean for business that no man steps in the same stream twice? Well, it means a few different things. Let's think about this for a second. If no man steps in the same stream twice, what he's saying is that when a man steps into a stream for the first time, the man is something and the stream is something. But what if he steps out and then he steps back in a minute later, the water, which was between his feet a minute earlier, has already gone down the stream. And so there's a different set of water with a different set of biome and different sets of properties that are in his feet the second time that he steps into the stream. Additionally, the man himself has changed, he has grown or he has decayed over that minute period. What has he thought about? Has he thought about things that are derogatory to his very soul? Has he thought about things that are higher and have built him up over that last minute? He himself is a different man. So not only have the stream changed, but also the man has changed. The circumstances of the environment, of the field of battle have changed. The man, the opponent, the partner has changed as well. And so as we begin to talk about philosophy in these terms and Heraclitus' statement, we can see that it does have implications for how to deal with partners, with enemies, with combatants. It has to do with the change in the field of play, the field of battle, how the field of battle is always in flux. And how you synthesize the ideas in areas like philosophy to business is very, very important. You can also synthesize the same sort of idea over into religion, hear the talk of, of the divine logos, the divine ordering to the chaos and how that impacted at the point of creation in the, the Jewish and the Christian and the, and the Muslim thought systems. Heraclitus words mean something different to them, but it's all relevant. How does this impact our very lives? Another tool that someone who's brilliant, Ray Dalio, likes to talk about is this idea of triangulation. Triangulation is that, how can I get the three smartest people I know into the same room, give them the same problem that I'm thinking through, and get their thoughts? And then after a round of their thoughts, push back a little bit, get them to have dialogue with one another, all in real time, and just observe and think. 
This idea of triangulation among the three smartest people you can get on a specific topic is very, very valuable. In fact, Ray Dalio says that this is behind meditation probably the most important tool that he uses. The Koch brothers use this area of combating or confrontational types of meetings where we beat up an idea to see how well it stands. We have confrontation and we poke and we, we prod an idea to figure out how do we best flesh it out. These sessions are very, very critical. And this is one of the tools that you're gonna use as you begin to synthesize your ideas across various domains. But the first thing you've gotta do is you've gotta be a reader. You've got to be a studier of various modes of thought through great thought systems across wide varieties of time. Step one is you must organize your sources, both in context and domain, by themes and thought systems. For instance, if I'm reading a piece of Francis Bacon, I have to realize that Francis sits in a very specific time and a very specific thought system, and what he writes has implications for him, how he sees things. If I read Dante's Inferno, the great art of how to think about eternity and how it impacts the world. If I read the Inferno and I hear and I read about Virgil, I have to understand what Virgil, who Virgil was and his thought system. Now, Virgil predated Christ. And so we have to understand where that comes from and that Virgil would look up to Aristotle and Plato and the great Greek philosophers, but he would not know yet about Christ or Muhammad or some of the greatest thinkers of the last 2000 years. And so when we write and we think about this as Dante did, we have to think about it within this proper framework and the proper context. We also have to realize what sort of literature are we reading? Are we reading poetry? Are we reading narrative? Are we reading fiction, nonfiction? Are we reading a technical book, a technical understanding of, of how to perceive something from the granular? These things very, very matter and they should be thought of in various contexts. Now, understanding what your source is, understanding what you read is part one, is step one. But step two is you have to frame out your structure. You have to outline your structure of how you're thinking about whatever you read. And let me give you an example about how to draw ideas from various thought systems and, and bring them together. We spoke about Heraclitus, about the idea that, that men always change, but also the field the, the environment always changes and we have to bring a structural outline to this. And so we would basically look at it for two, two different vantage points is, is that you got the man in the first case and you have the water in the same case. Then you've got the man in the second case. This is the latter man and you've got the water in the second case. And then you've got the various properties of these across time. And then you also have the environmental influences of this. If you sort of think about it as a, as a matrix, as a framework, you can then take that framework, this outline of the structure, be able to take various mental models and apply that. If you don't have a mental model or 10 mental models to go with, I really encourage you to, to identify one. The second thing you have to do is understand that not only the structure must be outlined, but it must be done so in a way that can allow you to connect ideas. And this is one of the ideas that, that's important. This is step number three, is you have to be able to make inferences on your data of your points into other domains to see if they corroborate what your thesis is, right? You have to set forth a thesis of, I have a thesis that this idea and this idea have an intersection somewhere. And what is your thesis? Your thesis has to either be proven true or false. The thesis should be that I see overlap, symmetry, or inversion. Inversion is very, very common. Inversion across these two thought systems, these two ideas from these two great authors, and how do they intersect or how do they invert? And you flesh that out. And so for myself, I like to draw this out. I like to frame out 
and structure the concepts. And I like to be able to draw corollary relational types of arrows and symbols and other sorts of, of very visual cues that alert me that these ideas are one and of the same. One thing that you'll see across history, and you'll see this especially in philosophy and religion, is this idea of reprisal of reversion or the inversion of stories. Over and over again, you'll see this various thought system of, of inverting the prior story, where maybe one story you have a defeat of a people group, as in the Philistines defeating the Jews in 1 Samuel chapter 4, and then three chapters later you'll have the Jews defeating the Philistines, and that every nuance of those stories are the inversion of the prior. And so as we think through this, we have to understand that the idea of inversion is in play as well as the idea of synthesis and corroboration. And so remember, we're trying to get at growth. And we know that growth requires continuity and continuity may come in a variety of flavors, inversion and straight line corroboration being the two primary flavors of how reality works. Step number four, I like to defend and then reverse engineer the thesis and see if it is applicable into other domains into other thought systems. One way I like to do this is I like to read the background of something. So if I'm thinking about Mahler's Fifth, for instance, the great opening line of the trumpet, blah, 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 this sort of tonality is implicit within the German writer, but is also implicit within the idea of the singular leader leading the army into battle, leading the voice that the entire orchestral movement will follow. This is the role of the lead trumpet, for instance, in Mahler V or Fifth Symphony for those. The ability to be able to synthesize these ideas and figure out how does this impact with maybe something that Heraclides said or business strategy? How does the, the leader of the symphony, the soloist, reflect with something like maybe the Jewish historian, Mishan, who was the first Jew into the waters at the Red Sea, who fought off the Egyptians by stepping away from them, stepping away in faith. And he's the leader of the Jewish people from the historical context behind Moses, Aaron, and Joshua because he was the first one to step out and put his life at risk for his very people. You see the same sort of stories in the Hindu tradition where Krishna leads as this pre-Messianic, pre-Christ-like figure that is a little bit different, that is a little bit more so the, the coach or the mediator. And you see this connected up to Plato where Plato talks about it's necessary for God and man to communicate through a mediator, through a divine logos. And these ideas begin to connect once you look at this. But the divine logos must step out first, right? You have to have the chaos in place, and the divine logos must step up through the chaos and bring the chaos into order. This is what it means to be able to connect and defend your thesis across multiple domains. And so once you've done this, step number five, this is the final step, is we have to figure out how do you connect these ideas this concept, this concept of inversion of the idea or continuity of the idea into a larger, grander framework. What is your framework of how reality really works? Is your framework one of, of science where I must be able to observe something happening? If I can observe it, then I can then attach a truth to it. What if your observation is only a figment of your imagination? What about your existence? You have to be able to attach everything that you learn about art and history and science and religion and philosophy and mathematics and music and, and literature, connect them all up to a grand meta narrative, a meta framework. And when you're able to do this, you can then make decisions across multiple domains and synthesize information more easily. And I encourage you to think about a meta narrative or a 
meta framework which you can then attach everything to. One of my favorites is the idea of the of the chaos and the order and these these two great eternal enemies dancing around one another and the idea of the, the yin and yang that the, the, the Tao is at play within there. That Tao is the overarching reality. That reality is the intersection of the chaos and the order and how they how they meet. And that edge of them meeting is where excitement is where real life is. The battle of good versus evil. And so that that's one example meta narrative, meta framework that you might choose to be able to attach all of your ideas to. The other thing, and as I think about this, is very, very important, is you've got to read very, very old books. Very old books. If you're not reading at least books that are at least a thousand or two thousand years old for at least a third to fifty percent of your reading, you're probably reading trash. The idea that what you're reading has to stand the, te the test of time. That if someone just wrote a book 10 years ago and you're gonna dedicate three hours to it, how do you know whether or not those thoughts stand the test of time? How do you know whether or not that author is gonna die the person that they, they claim to be? How do you know that the ideas come from a source of truth and a source of wisdom and not a source of someone that's just a great marketer to sell books? These are the sorts of things we have to think about when we select our sources and source selection is really where this comes down to. So as you synthesize your ideas across various domains, think about source selection first, think about structure second, and think about the inversion and corroboration of ideas across various domains and draw them out. Because in order to grow, you must have continuity. And Lewis knew more than any man that's existed alive about the idea of continuity across multiple domains and how you use that continuity or the inversion to create a life to create a reality, to be able to decipher how reality works all around you, and from there to drive change in the world around you for generations to come.